Welcome to the Archways Podcast. Archways is recorded on the campus of Johnson C. Smith University and intended to support the goals of the Center for American Cultural and Race, which is housed on the campus of our partner institution, Guangdong Baiyun University in Guangzhou, China. The Center and this podcast are designed to help our Chinese colleagues and friends understand and experience American culture through the lens of race. Here now are your hosts from Johnson C. Smith, Dr. Brian Jones, and Dr. Matthew DeForest. This podcast is one of a two-part series. In 2017, William Bashirs of Arizona State University and Yvette Hall and Jermaine King of Johnson C. Smith University presented a lecture tour entitled Multicultural America at American Cultural Centers at Guangdong Bayun University, Guangzhou University, and Sichuan University. These recordings, which were made by Reginald Page, the American intern for the Guangdong Bayun University Center for American Race and Culture, are from the lectures given at Sichuan University. Johnson C. Smith is a historical black college. What is a historical black college? What is it? What is it? It's a college. Why is it historically black? It recruits blacks. Is that true? It was founded by the black people in what year? <laughs> yes, just what period? After Lincoln, that's right. So after Lincoln, after the Civil War, right? Yes. So after the Civil War, maybe Jermaine, would you like to say something about? Sure. The founding of, of the historically black colleges. Okay, so there's a period. Um, what we would consider part of the Reconstruction period. So after slavery was abolished, um, 1865, schools began to be created to educate former slaves. For example, Johnson C. Smith University was founded in 1867. The, our Founders Day is April 7th, 1867. This April 7th, is our sesquicentennial. The university is 150 years old this year. So HBCUs were created, created and crafted to educate former slaves on a trade so that they could live uh, fulfilling lives after slavery. Okay, very good. 
And there's a network of historically black colleges. Not just one. There's how many altogether? 107. Now. 107. So the age of this university is 1867, older than Chuan Da. <laughs> so you can imagine how this, the, the mission of this university is to educate black people. So that mission post-slavery continues today. Is it true? Yes, that's true. So the education of black people in the US. Yes. Reggie is a student at Johnson C. Smith. Could you say a few words about why you chose Johnson C. Smith network of universities in the US? Any questions about this? Why special university for black people? Did you ever ask yourself this question? Why? Or, yeah? Do they only recruit the black? Do they recruit black students? Oh, only black students. No, there are uh, many students of other races who attend HBCUs. Uh, however, their primary purpose is to educate African-American students. But we have students who are white. We have students from other countries. Uh, we have some Latin American students. We have some South American students. Uh, we've had exchange program with um, Guangzhou Bayou. Bayou and um, so we've had Asian students as well. Any other questions? So. Does discrimination exist in the United States? In other, in other universities. I think my answer is discrimination exists everywhere in the US. So I think that we have, uh, we have, at a certain level, we have a system that is based on race in the US. And race is not reality. So, for example, did you ever think that many white people like me, we look the same? That many Americans look the same? You did, right? You did. You said, how can I, how can I tell them apart? They all look the same. You did, right? Who, who, who said that? Just nod your head. Like, okay, just nod your head. You thought so, right? We kind of look the same, right? Would you nod your head? Because some Americans would say the same thing. They say, Chinese all look the same. <laughs> they're all the same. I can't tell them apart. This girl, this girl, this, they're all the same. And it shows you that we really have difficulty when we don't know people that we classify immediately on a visual, a quick visual and we classify it in our minds. So this is proof of that, isn't it? So what do you think happens with the quick visual when I see Professor King running down the street? What's my visual of him? What about scared? What, do you, what else? I think what? You see him running down the street. What? 
strong. Okay, that's good. <laughs> what else? What? Is he a sportsman? Okay, okay. He's running from us. Oh, he's different from us. Okay. So I think many in the United States, we know that a large black man running down the street is danger for many white people in the US. So it's a visual. It's not for all white people, but for many. And so this occurs with other people too, like with the police. This can occur. With the police, we have something called driving while black. That means when you're driving a car, even though he's a highly educated professor, we have highly educated people that driving a car could be considered what? Dangerous. Dangerous. So do you think about when you're driving a car, what do you think? think about getting pulled over and making sure that I never get pulled over. Um, so every time I pass a police car, my first thought is, oh my God, okay, let me check my speed. Let me check and make sure I turn the signal. Um, I'm very careful because when black people get stopped by the police, not all police are bad, but some are. And so even though I haven't necessarily done anything wrong, I can be viewed as well, you must have done something wrong. Let me go run your license plate. Right? It's just a hairstyle. And even though he's all, all got all these things going for him, he's still a black young man uh, in America, and I have to worry if he gets stopped by the cops. Is he going to do all the right things so that he doesn't get shot? And it's a very stressful thing to have to worry about. You know, moms worry about their kids anyway. Just consider you have to worry extra because of the stereotypes that exist. Does you know what stereotypes are? Yes. So it, it's very stressful. Okay. So these stereotypes, and you would agree too, that these stereotypes exist. Yes. Okay. Any other questions about the experience? And this is something we need to understand in the United States. We need to understand the experience. Asian, so I can't answer for you. However, um, the stereotype that Asians have in the U.S., does anybody know what it is? It's that you're very smart and very studious and that you make great Chinese food and you good, have good dry cleaners. So, <laughs> so there's really, uh, that I know of, and I'll, I'll turn to my colleagues, but I don't think there are any negative stereotypes um, that would be um, that would be harmful. There was a, a time in my own academic study where I, I was in a computer lab, in a computer lab, and there were, I want to say, three or four 
uh, Asian. I can't remember. I believe if I remember correctly, it may have been Chinese. But there were three or four Chinese students in the computer lab and me. Okay, so there are four people, five people in the lab, and the monitor, the gentleman who he was a student, but his job was to monitor the lab. And I was writing a paper, and the lab was quiet, and the students began to speak to each other in their language, which I believe, if I remember, was Chinese. And the gentleman who was working in the lab said he made a statement out loud, not directly to them, but he made it audible so that anyone could hear it. And we were the only ones there. And he said, we speak English in America. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my gosh. Like, he, I can't believe he literally just said that, and he said it in my presence. Now, at the time, I was a faculty member at a different university, so I wasn't a traditional student. I was a faculty member, but in the capacity of um, postgraduate degree student during the summer. And the thought that someone couldn't speak whatever they desired to speak, whatever tongue, whether it be native, secondary, or whatever, and someone else being offended by that is a form of discrimination. So I would say, unfortunately, yes. Um, you know, there are bad people everywhere you go. There are people who will not like you for whatever reason, whether it be because of your achievement, because of your nationality, because of your status. But that was a rare situation where actually it appeared right in, right in front of me, right in front of my face. I would say you have to look at the current state of politics globally. Globally, we're talking about a movement of white people. Who's the new president of the United States? <laughs> so who are the majority of the voters that support Trump? White, but what kind of white? Uneducated white. And so if you look at the population in Britain that has been involved with, what is it called? Brexit, right? The exit of Britain from the EU. What population supports this movement? Old, white, and lower educated people. The same group. If you look at France, what national party is becoming more prominent in France? It's called the Central, okay, the right, but also called the National Front, is the political party. What, what do they, what is this group? They're white and lower education level. What about the other European countries? Do they also have groups like this? Yes, this is a global movement, a global movement. What are the positions of this group? Number one, they believe that there's been injustice to themselves. This, this is research coming out of Europe. They believe there's injustice. What kind of injustice? That you give some, the black people maybe more access, or you give, in France, you give the Muslims more access to housing. You give them entrance into the schools. You give them privileges. So there's a, there's a, it's, it's looking at their puzzled faces, they're like, huh? That's 
That's the first. That's the first point. The second point is, what do you think? What do you think is the second point of these white people? Right, right. There's injustice. So, there's a movement in the United States. It's the, lo it's the, slow, the, the, the logo of the Trump campaign. What is it? Make America Great Again. Okay, so that's the same slogan in every one of these countries. What does that mean? Make America great again. What does that mean? America is not great. It's falling. And why, why is it falling? Why did it make it a great again? So what does that infer? It, what? Make white people great again. In the United States, where the demographics show that white people are decreasing in numbers, <laughs> that the majority of South African American citizens in China live in the
just be your option. It wouldn't necessarily be something a political statement. It could just be because you know you want red hair. I saw a young lady. She had um, she, she had long straight hair, and it was blue on the top and purple at the bottom. <laughs> Clearly, that was what she thought she wanted to look like, right? So I don't think that every person nowadays uh, is doing it necessarily for a political statement. But I think there's always the sense that you can't tell me what to do with my hair. I do think that that's kind of an underlying theme that's behind this natural hair care trend. Plus, because it's so damaging to straighten the hair, why should you be subjected to having to have to damage your hair just to be acceptable or to have an acceptable look? All right, what other questions do you have? How much time is needed to make so many curves? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it depends on how good you are at it. <laughs> I mean, so you have to practice. So when I was doing a twist out, I would say that it would take me about three hours. <laughs> and that's, that's before drying it. Just, just the process of getting it shampooed and conditioned and detangled and parted and twisted and it's, it's quite a lot. Yeah. And braids can take 12 hours. So they'll come, come in the evening, they'll braid, they'll have dinner, they'll braid some more, they'll go home and sleep, come back in the morning and finish. So it can be very time consuming. Alright, well if there are no other questions, I
So uh, I think that's a very good question. Thank you for that question. I think that um, that locks have been associated, perhaps unfairly, with a particular culture that that the European America might think is threatening. So if you think about who has had locks in the past, first of all, if you saw a white guy with locks, um, typically he's going to be a little bit um, just a kind of an unconventional guy, right? You're not going to see an average white guy with locks, but you might see one who um, is a little more free-spirited because it takes a lot to lock white hair. It doesn't lock very easily. So usually it's somebody who kind of just has a lot of time on his hands and, and is, gonna, is going to do that. And I think that there's some, um, there would be some sense of what's up with this guy when people see him as well. So I, I do think that part of it is just the hairstyle itself. Um, I think that historically that style has come from uh, more of a, a Caribbean island um, culture. And so I do think that, again, there, is, there are stereotypes that go along with that that get, you know, that rub onto people here, even though they may not have ever been from the Caribbean. Um, so I do think that, that it is based, again, on stereotypes. Did that answer your question? Thank you. 
itself isn't scary. But I do think that there is a, um, a more wild style of love that is probably more associated with that feeling that it's dangerous, whether it's on a black man or other. So I, I think you have a valid point there. What was the, the question about the So he was saying that Yes, I'd be less worried. I'd still be worried, but I'd be less worried. Um, because, because again, the disproportionate issue with black men, even versus black women, is that they're still more likely to be pulled over by the police without cause, searched, frisked, uh, you name it. It's just a higher likelihood that they would be able to do that. Uh, if, if the slogan "Black is beautiful" it prevails, then, then I think every black should uh, should be, just be the just just keep their natural hairstyle. But but they wear locks. Can I understand or 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 interpret it? The Archways Podcast is a production of Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, North Carolina, USA, in partnership with the Guangdong Bayun University and Guangzhou's People's Republic of China. Archways is made possible through generous funding from the United States Embassy in Beijing, China, and through the College of Arts and Letters at Johnson C. Smith University. Additional support has been provided by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. Subscribe to this podcast through iTunes. Email us at jcsuartsletters at gmail.com.